Good morning, Trinity Church. How is everyone? It's a nice, uh, cool morning. Well, at least it was a little earlier. I, I think it still is, but glad you are joining us today. Why don't we stand together? We're excited. We're going to lift up the name of the Lord and sing of his greatness. So let's sing out together, okay? All right, here we go. 
worship the God of mercy, who gave his life to set us free. Our God is
before you take a seat. Sorry about that. A little confusion up here might be my fault. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Trinity Church. It's early for me. It's, it's definitely early for me. I'm not an early person. I'd like to welcome you to Trinity. If this is your first time here this morning, an extra special welcome. Um, we would love to send you information from Trinity Church. And the only way we can do that is if you take the welcome card out of the seat back in front of you, fill that out. And then at the end of the service, you can take it straight through the wooden doors to the Welcome Center and um, give that to them. And they can um, make sure that we get a hold of that and send you all the information we need, you need um, about Trinity Church. That Welcome card also has a spot for prayer requests. And we would love to be able to pray for you. So during the service, if you can fill that out with your prayer requests. As pastors and elders, we pray for you weekly. And um, the offering bag is coming through a little bit earlier than normal, so if you might want to um, fill that out sooner and then drop that in the offering bag when it comes by later. I have a couple of announcements. First of all, every Sunday morning, about 140 servants that I love dearly, that I can name by name, serve every Sunday morning in our kids' ministries, serving infants through fifth graders. They've started in September, and they serve a nine-month, a little bit in a couple weeks, um, time with children, and we love them dearly, and we would love to give them a break. And in order for us to give them a break, we need you. So inside your training this week is a little card that um, you can fill out and tell us how you can help us out, how you can help give them a break for the summer by serving children. Um, after you fill that out, you can drop that in the offering bag as it goes by later, or you can even turn it in into the kids' check-in. If you have any other questions, we will answer all the questions. And, you know, you might think, I'm going to be gone. I have a week of vacation this summer, so I can't do that. Not true. We can help you out with that. We do have people who like to sub and fill in for those vacations, so please help us out in that way if you can. Secondly, we have a dad's kid camp out coming up in a couple of weekends, May 17th through the 19th. Dads, you do not want to miss out on this opportunity to spend time with your children from toddlers all the way up through high school and maybe even college. I know that we've been doing this annually for a long time, and it's a great opportunity to build memories with your children. You can sign up online and um, make sure you get all set to go because your kids are going to love it. Let's take time to pray now. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. We just pray as we come here this morning that you would help us to be attentive to you, to what you are saying to us through worship and through time in communion and through time in your word. I ask that you would um, bless us in a special way this morning. And we also want to lift up JD and Sarah Bennett and their girls as they are serving in Los Barrios, Spain. Thank you for um, 
just the generous gift of Trinity Church through Advent Conspiracy to be able to provide a projector and some cabinets for their ministry center over there in Los Barrios. We pray alongside them that that ministry center would be able to be a light in that community, that people would be able to come attend events of all different types, and then be able to hear about you. We thank you again for their ministry um, to you, for you in Los Barrios, Spain, and even across the channel um, to those people in Northern Africa. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And let's continue with communion. Hey, good morning. One thing different between Kim and I is that when there's confusion, she wonders if it might be her fault. I never have to wonder. It's, it's usually my fault. And I think I actually said, hey, Kim, I, I think there's another song before you're supposed to go up. Mm, no, there wasn't. <laughs> so, yes, it was my fault. So um, this morning, we are going to celebrate what we call communion. It's called by a number of names, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And this is one of the most precious things that our Lord said to us. On the night that he was betrayed, he actually gathered with his disciples and they were having a meal together. And at that meal, he shared with them something, what we call the bread and the fruit of the vine, the juice. <clears throat> and that seems so, so small here. So we're going to give you a little teeny piece of bread and a little teeny thimble of grape juice. But the fact is, um, they were actually having a meal, so they were tearing off a piece of bread and eating it, and they were having a goblet of, of some kind. We don't know what it looked like. By the way, there's a big movie about that. But um, I wanted to just tell you that the symbolism of it is what matters. <clears throat> you don't have to do that here uh, on a Sunday morning alone. We do it in our small groups. We do it sometimes when we're gathered with our families and then friends. Uh, we do it on a retreat up in the mountains. Why? Because our Lord said, do this often in remembrance of him. What is it we're supposed to remember? Well, when I first learned of Jesus, it was through a group uh, of high school students that gathered called Young Life. And they got together and they sang together, which was weird because it wasn't Beatles or Rolling Stone. And so I was just kind of taken back, like, what are they singing about? And they were singing about the blood of Jesus. And I went, oh, my goodness, I'm in some kind of a cult. That's what I thought. It was so strange to me. Well, um, our Lord Jesus, on the, on the night that he was betrayed, when they were gathered together, this is found in John 13 through 17 and Matthew 26, when they were gathered together, he said this, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Boy, that is very strange. And then later, this is my blood, which would have been repulsive to Jews. It seems so odd and so strange. But you have to remember that he'd already spoken to them on this subject before. Back in John 6, I'll read it to you. He said this, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I'd be listening right now if somebody told me they'd actually been with God. And then he said this, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Now I'm really listening. The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. 
But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. He was saying, I'm going to give my life for you. Believe in me. That's what he said. He who believes has eternal life. So as I learned of this as a young man, it stopped being so weird to me. I began to understand what he was explaining to us was the best news of all news that I could have eternal life. And then a little later, he said this. This is my blood of the covenant. Matthew 26. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I remember so well the night I walked out and was just stunned that God would forgive my sins. <clears throat> then Jesus said, I tell you, and this is his promise, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And that's actually our topic for today. Pastor Bill's going to talk with us about the heavenly kingdom and how you make it into the heavenly kingdom. And he made that promise that he would do this again. So flesh and blood stood for the whole person. Jesus meant for us to believe in what his death would accomplish because he loves us that much that he's going to die for us. <clears throat> Let me just mention one more thing. His suffering, his life given for us is the greatest demonstration of all that the God who had been with God, that the Son of God who had been with the Father came and suffered and died for us. And Jesus said, remember this, because I don't know about you, but in my life, there is a lot of attractions and distractions. In my life, there's a lot of things that happen every day, decisions I'm thinking about. And Jesus said, remember this. So family of God together this morning, let's remember this. We're going to pass the elements in a minute. And when we do, I would just want to urge you to hold those and we'll receive them together.
Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'd like to do something with you this morning. Will you just take your bread in your hand and say, thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Jesus said that he would not drink this cup again until he drinks it with us in his kingdom. I'd like to give sort of a salute with it this morning. I'd like to say, Lord Jesus, with you in the kingdom. Lord Jesus, with you in the kingdom. Jesus, thank you that you're so real, so personable. Thank you that you love us so. It just amazes me still. We pray today, Lord God, that as we listen to the word of God, as we sing these songs together, as we love one another, that all praise would go to you. Thank you for dying in our place. Amen. They are going to pass the little orange buckets across for your cups. And also the ushers, if you would come forward to receive the offering. Thank you.
Good morning, Trinity Church. I'm so excited to be here with you all as we're in the midst of this series called After This Life. And what we're looking at is what God teaches us about life that comes after the earth and how that should motivate us with living in life in light of eternity. And so um, I'm really honored to be a part of this. Our teaching pastor, our lead pastor, Todd Arnett is away this weekend. He is celebrating his son Jackson's graduation from college. And so he asked me to step into this role, and I'm humbled because I am not an expert on heaven and hell. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that. But I do believe that we have the authority in the scriptures 
and we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth together. And so we're going to go there this morning. Uh, the, the assignment that I have received is to answer the question today, who goes where based on what? So that's what we're going to discover together as we look at God's Word. Um, our now what for today is be certain that you will receive the inheritance of heaven. So before we dive into that, let's pray together, and then uh, we'll look to the Scriptures. Heavenly Father, oh, I love gathering with your people to sing your praises. To be in your presence together is an awesome privilege, and we thank you for um, this local gathering of Christ followers here today in Redlands. We thank you for the people who facilitate this gathering. And Father, we thank you most of all for your presence, that you are with us today, that your spirit is uh, aware of each person, that you love each one of us deeply, and that you want to communicate your truth to us today. And so open our ears to hear and our minds to understand, our hearts to receive your truth and, um, and our will to obey and to walk and follow you, with you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, we began this series on Easter Sunday, and Todd reminded us that our hope of heaven is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, Paul says, your faith is worthless, but we have a faith that is secure, and we can count on what God says because Jesus rose from the dead. And so that was our first Sunday. And then last weekend, we had guest teacher out, Eric Tonis, and he reminded us that heaven and hell exist based on the character of God, that God is both just and he's perfectly just. He will judge all sin and evil, but he is also perfectly loving and gracious and merciful. And so he provides a way out of that judgment for us. And so this is our God who um, we looked at last week. And each week in this series, we're looking at things that are going to bring clarity, but I have a feeling they're also going to raise more questions. This is a, a big concept. It's an important concept. And uh, one of the things last week Eric recommended is this book. I'm about halfway through it. It's 40 questions about heaven and hell. And if, this, if you're having some questions that are coming up, there are 40 different questions in here that are answered, uh, looking at what God's Word has to say about them. And I, didn't, I recommend that book. Um, as we... i got to put this thing so it won't go to sleep on me, huh? As we uh, continue, um, we need to know that Jesus had a lot to say about heaven and hell. In fact, he had more to say about it than any other biblical author. And um, so Jesus is the authority on heaven and and hell. This is our first point today. You can follow along in the notes that were in your Trinity this week. Jesus is the authority on heaven and hell. The reason he wrote about it more than any, he talked about it more than anything else, is because it was his heart and his purpose to save the world from having to go to hell. And so he spoke about it more than anybody else. And he also spoke of heaven, talking about the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, more than any other. And so this was his life purpose, was thinking in light of eternity. And he came for us. 
we would do well to look at what he says and to give him that place of authority as a teacher, as one who teaches us about heaven and hell. If you're a Christ follower and he is your Lord, then you need to believe what he says and you need to live your life motivated by what Jesus says. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here today because I believe that what we're going to look at is going to move your heart closer to putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So um, we're going to go back to a story that takes place just three days before Jesus would give up his life. He would be crucified on the cross. And so this is the Passion Week, and Jesus is teaching his disciples. Um, they are in the temple in Jerusalem, and I'm, we can imagine there's a huge crowd there because remember, Jesus came in and everybody was like, Hosanna, blessed to the King of David. They were basically welcoming Jesus as the Messiah. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. They had already determined, we're going to kill this guy because he is way too much of a threat. And so Jesus comes, he's teaching in that context. The scribes and Pharisees are, are trying to discount his authority because they think if, if we could just discount his authority... We wouldn't have to kill him because people would just see he's not really um, knowledgeable in these areas. So they're asking him hard questions, and every question, he's just nailing them. And he's getting them right. They cannot trick him. But Jesus is so angered by their self-righteous pride that he starts to point out their faults to his disciples. And then he turns to the leaders, and he lets them have it. And this is all that's leading up to the teaching that we're going to be looking at. But listen to what he says to the Pharisees. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So he's thinking, right? He's thinking of eternity, of heaven, and he's angered. That the, that the religious leaders who are to know God are, are shutting the kingdom in people's faces. They're refusing to enter. And then he goes on, and this is just the beginning of a series of in-your-face accusations saying that every religious activity that you do is corrupted by your sinful heart and your wicked hearts. And he's, he's calling them to repentance. Listen what he says next. Or, or down the line, he says... This isn't friendly language, by the way. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and you will persecute from town to town, so that on you will come all the blood that's been shed on earth. And then he tells them, truly, I say to you, all of these things will come upon this generation. And then he and the disciples leave, and as they're leaving, he just tells them, this temple that you're looking back on that's so magnificent, it's going to be destroyed Every stone is going to be knocked down. There's not going to be one of them left. And the disciples then ask the question that 
kind of sets the stage for our teaching today. Here's the question. It's on the screens. They say, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And then Jesus goes on, and he tells them exactly those things. And, in, and when he's telling them those things, there is a lot of suffering that's in store for them. They are headed for being killed and, and, and persecuted for, for his name. And then he also um, throws in a, a bonus of he teaches them four parables saying, be ready. Be ready for my return. Don't miss me. And he says, be invested. Whatever I've given you, invest it for my return. Invest it for eternity. And then the last teaching is he moves away from a parable and he just says the most important thing is make sure that you're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And that's where we are today. So take a look in your Bibles. We're in Matthew 25. We are in uh, verse 31. Uh, we'll have the scriptures on the screens. And so you can follow along. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a tax collector. And his account of the Jesus story is the first that is recorded in the New Testament. So it's at the beginning of the New Testament. Here's Matthew 25. Let's, I'm just going to read all the way through our passage today. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in and I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do, for the least one of these you did not do unto me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Whew. 
So this is our passage for today. We're going to look at who goes where based on what. And so the first question we're going to ask is who? And when we look at this passage, the very first verse, we see Jesus is the judge. He is the glorious king. He came as an infant, humble. He came as a servant who said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He came as the Lamb of God who would be slain to forgive the sins of the world. But when he returns, he will return as the king with all the authority, and he will be the judge of all people. And that's what we see in Matthew 25, verse 31. If you look at this, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. That was biblical prophecy for the, the, the messianic king who would rule over the entire world. This is Jesus, and this is how he will return, and he will be the judge. Now, when I talk about judgment or being judged, it probably doesn't set well with you. Our American culture kind of, and I would say mankind in general, does not like the idea of being judged. And I would say, in fact, in American culture right now, that since, since our culture has shifted towards relativism, where there's no, um, there's no um, measuring point for truth now, what's right for you is right for you. Don't tell me that it should be the way I live as well. So we've kind of, our cultures removed these standards of right and wrong and because they don't want to be judged. And so how's that working for us? When, as I was talking with a friend this week, we, he, we were recognizing together that it's made our culture more judgmental than ever. And because they're judging based on popular opinion. And if you're not in the side of popular opinion, you're going you're gonna to get it. Can you imagine being a college student today on a secular campus? How, how difficult that is to take a stand for what's right? This is our culture. We are a judgmental culture. But here's the good news. God is our judge. Jesus is our judge. But he is a perfect and righteous and just judge. He will not make a bad judgment. And so um, he is our righteous judge who will judge us, but he has already provided the means for our pardon. And that's what Eric Tonis re reminded us of last week, that he is not just a perfect judge. He is also a loving and gracious and merciful judge. And we're going to be looking at that today. But that doesn't mean that he will not judge. So the second who, so Jesus is our judge, is now it's us, the people. And one of the things we notice in this passage is that all people will be judged. So if you look back at Matthew, verse 25, 32, and verse 32 and 33, it says all the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, 
he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So this is his judgment. Is there something about each one of us that he's going to recognize? And it's not, this is not a, um, a challenging choice for our judge. For some reason, there's no evidence. This isn't this court where a bunch of evidence is being thrown to him. He knows all the evidence is before him. And he's going to make his judgment. And it just simply says he separates them. Like a shepherd separates sheep and goats. Shepherd would, would care for and provide sustenance for sheep and goats together. But the shepherd knew the difference between the two. And that's what it's saying is Jesus knows the difference. So the, our culture, a popular way of thinking, is that there's a scale, right? And if your good outweighs the bad, you're generally a good person, heaven is yours. There's none of that in this passage. There's no scale. The shepherd isn't making this judgment of whether or not good is more than evil. The, the shepherd simply knows. And it's a, it's a very decisive decision whether a person is a sheep or a goat. And if we look further in the passage, about halfway through, we find out that the sheep he calls the righteous. He calls them blessed by my father. And that the goats, the ones representing those who will be sent to eternal punishment, those he says are cursed by, they're cursed. And so if these are the righteous, these are the unrighteous, aren't they? Just by uh, in, inferring. And so the motivation for today and where we're going is to make sure that you and I understand what makes a person righteous before God. Because that's what makes a person his sheep. That's what puts a person on the right, which is the, 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 the place of honor, right, is the right hand. And so um, as we move on here today, if you want to think about what is righteousness, what makes a person right before God, um, the scriptures, the Apostle Paul says, none are righteous, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the condition of all humanity is that nobody fits this. Nobody's right before God without God's intervention. And uh, if we think about um, the falling short of the glory of God, we could insert the word heaven, right? Be, all are sinners and fall short of heaven. That's the glory of God, the perfection of being with God in his presence forever. And so, fortunately, there is good news that God did make a way for us to be right with him. And we're going to come to that next. So, the who is, God, is Jesus is the judge, and the, uh, the righteous are those favored, and the unrighteous are those who will, who will be judged and, and condemned. The righteous will be judged and found worthy and blessed. Okay? So the second thing is who goes where? And this is where we get to look at the place. And uh, I absolutely love this. I've enjoyed just thinking about this. And um, this is what Jesus teaches. Heaven is an inheritance. 
and therefore it's not earned. Heaven is an inheritance. So if you look, um, before we look, I want you to think about an inheritance. Probably many of you in this room have received an inheritance. Is that true? You've received an inheritance of some sort. How many of you, if you received an inheritance, did it come through family? Okay. I would venture to say that way up in the 90 percentile range, the reason that you receive that inheritance is because a family member earned that inheritance and passed it on to you because they love you. And because you were in a right relationship. You were related to them, weren't you? So think about this word inheritance. This is what Jesus calls the, the blessing that's going to come to the people on his right, the righteous. Okay? Take a look at the passage. An inheritance is a gift that's given based upon a relationship. It's not something that's earned. So in Matthew 25, he says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, retake your inheritance prepared for you before the foundation of the world. This language, we're blessed by the Father to receive, to take this inheritance. The invitation is come, take it, it's yours, it belongs to you, and it's something that's been prepared for you since the creation of the world. Isn't that amazing? That's the picture that Jesus gives of heaven in this passage. I want you, when I think of family, one of the clearest passages of scripture on, on being part of the family of God is found in Ephesians. And this is where the apostle Paul was opening his letter to the Christians who lived in Ephesus and he is just going off on this wonderful identity. And I want you to look at the language that he uses and see that he uses the same language Jesus uses. Okay, so take a look. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1. It's on the screens. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has freely given us in the one he loves. An inheritance is a family thing. The inheritance of heaven is ours. It's yours and it's mine because God is our father and we're his adopted children. That's why we receive the inheritance. Don't miss this also. Right in the middle of it, it says how you and I could be right with God. He says that he chose to make us holy and blameless in his sight. And so it's almost like we get two blessings, right? He, Paul's saying every spiritual blessing, we get the blessing of being made right with God 
through Jesus Christ, and we get the blessing of being family. So it's like this double blessing. And, and Paul's just saying, hey, every blessing comes through Christ. But those are two that are in this. So we've been given this special relationship as a child to father. And if it's true of you, then you are truly blessed. And you need to know that. I want to look at two quick uh, other details that this passage teaches about heaven. And uh, the second one is that heaven is a real place to which we're invited. Right? The words that Jesus used is come. It's an invitation to come and to, you're blessed by the Father, so receive this inheritance. It's an invitation. We're not going to spend a lot of time today, but next Sunday's message is going to be looking at heaven and just thinking about what's it going to be like? What are we going to do there? But I can tell you that heaven is what we were made for, right? We were created for this. Before the foundation of the world, this is, this is what Jesus intends for all of his people. It's going to be more magnificent and wonderful than we could ever imagine. And the Bible does have a lot to say about it. And so we're going to unpack that in the weeks to come. But I just want you to know that it's a real place, and it's a place that you're invited to based on your relationship with the Father. The second thing is that heaven is eternal life. In the very end of this passage, right, it says the one will depart to eternal punishment, but the, uh, the righteous will, will go to eternal life. And if you think about Jesus' teaching, he, he talked about eternal life all the time. You, you may be familiar with the story of Nicodemus. He was one of the Pharisees that early on in Jesus' ministry went to him in secret because he saw that Jesus was, was the authority and he was the Messiah and, and that maybe his group of religious leaders was missing it. So he comes to Jesus at night and he inquires of Jesus and Jesus says to him, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. And he says later on, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus was all about heaven and, and eternity with, with God. And so Jesus says, you have to be born again, which is an interesting way to talk about adoption. Do you know when someone's adopted, they get a brand new birth certificate, right? And it's, it puts the parents of that child on that birth certificate as if the old never existed. It's erased from memory. And that's what God does for us. I have a friend who when we were talking about this. He says, and he's, he's a teacher, Scott Blakey, he's a teacher at Airhead Christian Academy, and he says this is how he teaches to his students that our, the basis of our earning heaven, or going to heaven, sorry, is based on our birth certificate and not our resume. The basis of our, our citizenship, our inheritance in heaven, is our birth certificate. It's being born again, adopted into the family of God, not our resume, not what good things we did. 
And that's an important thing. We're going to talk about doing good things because Jesus does. But it's important to understand that. Take us back to John 3.16. So John tries to summarize what Jesus is teaching, and he gives us this wonderful, well-known piece of Scripture that summarizes the gospel and Jesus' purpose. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. And so we see God's purpose right away. Jesus' purpose is to give people eternal life. And so you see that in the end zone at football games. You see the word Jesus saves. And the question is, Jesus saves from what? And the answer is from condemnation, from, from hell. And so um, if you... Uh, if we, as we continue, if, if our inheritance is heaven, um, hell is the other place. And hell is a place of eternal punishment for evil to which the unrighteous are sent. They're never invited to go there. In fact, I have good news for you. Hell has not been prepared for anyone in this room or for anyone on this earth. If you look back in the passage, and I forgot to put it in, on the screens, when Jesus says to the people on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That God did not prepare hell for people. It was not his original intent. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared. It's God's desire, right, to save people. And that's why he sent Jesus. And that's important to know that even though there is going to be judgment, that God has provided the way out. Look at where John 3, 18, the next verse says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one only son. So John teaches here that if, if those who do not believe in Jesus are already condemned. And that's why King Jesus on the day of judgment is going to say to the unrighteous, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that brings us to the last point of this scripture is based on what? So we've looked at who, Jesus our judge, the righteous and the unrighteous, and we've looked at where, the inheritance of heaven, eternal life, or eternal punishment in hell. And now we look at based on what? And then one way we might rephrase this question is how does one get to go to heaven? The clarity of the gospel is very clear. Jesus' teaching is very clear. The language in the beginning of this passage of inheritance and blessing by the Father is very clear. 
But the point that Jesus makes to his disciples is that as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me, could be confusing. Because we could think, is Jesus saying that entrance into heaven is based on the way we love others? So I want to look at that because obviously it's incredibly important that Jesus would highlight this to his disciples and to us today. So let's go back to um, this passage. This is the bulk of the passage, and it gets a little wordy to read, but I'm going to read through it one more time just to hear it. So verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was, um, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So, looking at Jesus, what Jesus has taught, I believe that what this is saying is that caring for the least of these is evidence that I have a relationship with Jesus. It's not the means for entrance to heaven. Jesus is pointing to the evidence that they're his disciples, not to this is how you get to heaven. All right? And I want to unpack that a little bit, and it's incredibly important for us today to understand why is this so important to Jesus, but I want to make sure that we understand that heaven is an inheritance, and it's based on our relationship, not something we're trying to earn. That's the gospel. So heaven is for those who are rightly related to Jesus, the way we care for one another is the greatest demonstration that we're rightly related to Jesus. You guys know two days later, right? This teaching is just a few days before the cross. Jesus is going to gather with his disciples in the upper room where he's going ha to have communion, what we just celebrated today. And he's going to tell them, he's, he's preparing them for the future to carry on his ministry. He's going to tell them at least four different times Love one another as I have loved you. And he's going to say, by this all mankind will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this concept of the way we treat one another is the foundational evidence that we belong to Jesus, that we're his disciple. It's evidence John, who is up there and recorded all these words that Jesus was teaching, wrote a letter to the church many, many years after Jesus ascended and the church was 
transformed and, and had, was walking through all this persecution, right? Remember what Jesus said? He said, you're going to suffer. Some of you are going to be killed. So this church that Jesus and the disciples are going to be a part of began with intense persecution and suffering. And it's very important to understand that when we look at why Jesus chose this evidence. But look what John had to say in his letter. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and he sees a brother and sister in need, but he has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love in words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So I want you to notice that Jesus uses the words, my brothers and sisters. And there's debate on this. Is Jesus specifically saying, hey, the way that you love other followers of mine is what proves that you're my disciple? Or should that love extend to anyone? And the Apostle Paul in, the, in his letter to Galatians said, as many opportunities as you have, show kindness to all people. But then he says, but especially to those who are part of the family of believers. Isn't that cool? So I don't think we should ever just say, oh, good, I only have to love the people who are Christians. <laughs> I think that our witness of our love for one another is the greatest evidence, but it, it extends out, obviously, to the people that are part of our relational world. And that we, we show God's love through our example. But what Jesus is talking about here is the way we treat one another. And um, it's hard for us as Christians in America to grasp this because we're not this church that's under intense persecution like the original church was. So there aren't as many of us who are in prison and persecuted for our faith and losing our jobs and poor because we can't make a living. But we still suffer, don't we? There are still needs. And I would say that the place where this starts is for us right here as a local church. You, you need to be known and you need to know others so that you know what needs there are that you can help meet. Because we practically, that's how we practically love one another. But then it extends outward, right? Brothers and sisters are in our community and they're around the world. And there are churches around the world where Christians are being persecuted and being killed. And there are organizations like Voice of the Martyrs who are helping to bring care to those people. And I think that we should be concerned. It starts here, but our concern should be to any believers in any place in the world. And we also have uh, global workers that go out from Trinity to some of these places where believers are being persecuted. So supporting them in that work is very one way that we extend this care that Jesus is talking about. So in closing this morning, I just want to be very, very clear about how one is in. And it's hearing and the believing the message of the truth of the gospel is the means for entrance into heaven. That's how you become one who is righteous 
if you are his adopted child, if you've been made right with God, then God is your father and heaven is your inheritance. I'd like to end going back to Paul's wonderful account of our adoption into the family of God, reminding us that he chose us, he chose you before the foundation of the world, but that we have to receive and accept that offer. Right? That is our pardon from judgment. That is how one goes from being a goat to being a sheep. Look at what Paul says in verse um, 7. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We we, uh, celebrated that today. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. A little bit later, he says, and you were included, I love that word, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked with him, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we're either included or we're excluded from the family of God based on the choice of whether we believe in Jesus or not. Listen to what Jesus had to say. You could close your eyes and just listen. In John, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand for those of you who put your hope in Christ the moment that you believed you were included in the family of God and the inheritance of heaven is yours you are God's possession you're his son or daughter there is nothing that can take that away from you you have the Holy Spirit as a promise that you will receive that inheritance. And I hope that you have that confidence and that security and that joy in the love that God has shown you. And for those of you, and if that's you and you realize, I don't know if my life is evidenced by that kind of love, then I would say just ask. Ask the Father to increase that kind of love and that opportunity to love in your hearts, and he will do it. And for those of you who do not know Jesus, you're unconvinced, but this morning you've heard the good news and you believe, I just want to lead you through just a simple prayer that brings you into this family. And it's very simple, and I'll pause between each part. Just admit to God that you're a sinner, that you are unrighteous, You are not right with him. And then believe, having heard this wonderful truth that through the blood of Jesus shed for you on the cross, you receive forgiveness of sins, that you are made right with God. Believe that that's what Christ did on the cross for you. Tell God that you believe. 
And as one of his followers, it says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Commit to following Jesus and let him lead you from this point forward. As we sing this closing song, we're just going to rejoice that those who are called to come to Jesus now, one day when they stand before him as the judge, will hear him say, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance prepared for you before the foundation of the world.
together heavenly father thank you for our savior he is wonderful he's lord of all and father we thank you that you are not only our good and merciful judge but you are our savior thank you that the inheritance of heaven is ours through jesus help us to live life this week in light of eternity Lord, rejoicing in that truth and telling the world. And so, Father, empower us to go as your people into the world with your message. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you would like prayer for any reason, there's always a team here. If you've made a significant decision, you can mark it on here. And if you'd like just someone to follow up with you, you can just hand it to me or to one of them. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.
Well, good morning, Trinity Church. How is everyone sprinting to your seats? Love it. Well, it, it is an, a beautiful, it is a beautiful morning. We're excited to be here with all of you. And how awesome we get to gather together today and worship the Lord. So let's stand together. We're going to sing of our great God this morning. Here we go. His name with joyful praise. Sing a 
turn to the person next to you, give them a holy hug, a handshake, a good morning. Good morning. Lots of holy hugs being offered, I see there. Welcome to Trinity Church. If this is, if you are a guest here this morning, thank you for accepting that holy hug from somebody you don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I like hugs. I know a lot of people don't. Welcome. We'd like to give you an extra special welcome to Trinity. And it was, just doesn't mean a holy hug, but <laughs> from me. And we would love to send you information about Trinity Church. There's a lot going on here, and we'd like you to be informed. And the best way that we can do that is if you take the welcome card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and later at the end of the service, you can walk straight through the wooden doors and a little bit to the left and find the Welcome Center and hand it to them, and they can um, make sure that we get a hold of that and send you all the information you need. Or you can drop it in the offering bag, which will come by later. Um, the off on that welcome card, there is also a place for you to write your prayer requests. As pastors and elders, we pray for you during the week. So fill out your prayer request on that welcome card and drop it in the offering bag in a, a little bit later this morning. It will be coming by earlier than normal. So if you have to write those three paragraphs or whatever you need to write on there, you might need to start now so that it is ready to be dropped in the offering bag when it comes by later. I have a couple of um, things to talk about. First of all, every Sunday morning during all three services, we have approximately 135 servants who serve in our kids' ministry every Sunday morning. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome praise. And they are extra special and near and dear to my heart. I can name every single one of them and tell you where they serve. And I know that it's May. And May, for most people, is like school year's winding down and crazy sets in. And they also know that they only have about four more weeks to serve in Trinity Kids. We like to give them a break. But in order to give them a break, we need you. We need you to take that little insert out of your Trinity this week, fill it out, and tell me how you will be helping us out, how you can serve, how you can give them a break. You might be thinking, I've never worked with kids. I don't know how to do this. We'll train you. You might tell me, I'm going on vacation. We have subs. There is no excuse that you have that will be good enough for me. So <laughs> fill out that card, drop it in the offering bag when it comes by later, and we will get back to you about how you can help give this team a summer break. Okay? Secondly, we have a Dad's Kids Campout coming up. May, yeah, woo! May 17th through the 19th. That was a mom cheering. It was. It was truly a mom. Thanks, Leanne. <laughs> and this is an annual event that I know I've heard kids talk about it, about how much fun it is. I will tell you, as a mom, I don't want to be there because I just, I would have to turn around. I know they do things that moms probably don't approve of. That's okay, moms. They're with dads. So if you have not yet signed up, 
please do, dads. You can sign up on our website. Your kids will love it. You'll have a great time, and your wives will appreciate it too. So sign up. Let's continue and pray. Father God, we do thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together here at Trinity Church to learn about you, to worship you, to be with one another. I pray that you would help us to be open to what you have to say to us this morning as we think about life after death. And I pray that you would help us to um, be open to what you need us to do. Thank you again for this opportunity. And I want to especially pray for J.D. and Sarah Bennett and the girls as they are over in Los Barrios, Spain. Thank you for their ministry to that community who needs to hear about you. Thank you for the great gift from Trinity Church during Advent Conspiracy to help provide a projector and some cabinets for their new ministry center. We pray that those cabinets and the projector and that ministry center would be a light and a beacon in that community that people would be able to come and learn new skills, but most importantly, that they would be able to hear about you and know um, who you are through that ministry. We ask that you would bless them in a special way. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's continue with communion. Hey, good morning. We are going to celebrate communion together. One of the coolest things that Jesus left with us. He left us two things. He wasn't by nature. He didn't have a lot of rituals and things like that he wanted us to do. But he did say, I want you to celebrate baptism, to celebrate when you come to the Lord, that you have new life in Christ. And then I want you to celebrate what he calls the Lord's Supper. We call the Lord's Supper. Communion is called the Eucharist, means giving thanks. He told us to do that because you know how life is. We are so crazy busy. We're, we're so crazy attracted to things and distracted by things. And we have decisions to make. And life goes on and it's intense. And Jesus said, look, pause. Take a breath and do this. Remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember what we're going to be doing together. And so I want to read a couple of scriptures with you. This, this was a very unusual thing for me to learn. I was actually in high school. I, I didn't know anything about Jesus. I'd used his name, but I certainly didn't know him. But I went to this group called Young Life, and they, we went there, and they were singing songs, and it was so weird to me. It was in high school, and they weren't Beatles songs. They weren't uh, uh, Rolling Stones or whatever. And I'm like, what are these guys singing? And they were singing about the blood of Jesus. I went, oh my goodness, I am in a cult. <laughs> this is weird. And then as I began to learn of Jesus, and now I consider this very precious, what we do. I consider this to be one of the moments that we get to have together. We do it in our small group sometimes. We do it in different places. Obviously, the first setting was that Jesus was gathered with his disciples. They were having a meal together. A common thing was to have bread. Another common thing was to have We'll call it f juice from fruit of the vine. Can't, you can't say the word that it is, okay? We're in church. You can't say, mm, you know what I mean. So, but they were here, and Jesus used two very common things to say, remember, remember this. Remember this when you have a meal together. And so I want to read to you a couple of verses that he left with us 
uh, and it comes from Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Wow. I remember the first time I heard that. So strange to me. But this wasn't the first time they'd heard it. They'd heard it in John chapter 6 as well. Let me read to you that passage, and then you'll realize, oh, that's, that's what he means. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, meaning Jesus. Only he has seen the Father. Wow, he's got my attention now. Someone who's actually been with God in heaven. Very truly, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes has eternal life. Then he said this, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. God had provided bread from heaven, if you will, and, but it only temporarily kept them alive. But here, Jesus said, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Anyone may eat and not die. Wow, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That is the good news, guys, that we celebrate today at communion. That is what we're rejoicing in, is that we do have eternal life if we've believed in Jesus Christ. He went on to say a couple more things. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, here's his promise. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That is what we're pausing for. We're remembering what he did for us on the cross, that we belong to him forever. We're forgiven. We have eternal life, and we're going to be with him soon. Very soon for some of us. We just know it. The Lord is going to come or we're going to be with him soon. So Jesus meant for us to celebrate this today, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate this together, and we're going to celebrate a little bit differently today, the bread and the cup. So when I, they're going to come in a minute, and we're going to distribute the elements. I want to ask you to hold the elements, and we'll receive them together. Let me pray for a moment. Father in heaven, thank you for coming down. Thank you for dying and giving us forgiveness of sins. Thank you that we belong to you forever because you love us that much. We look forward to that day, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Scandal of grace, you died in my place. 
those words say it, don't they? 
let's take this little piece of bread and let's say something together. Will you repeat after me? Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Let's receive the cup together, and let's say something like this. Until that day with you in your kingdom. Until that day with you in your kingdom. Thank you, for God, for your grace, for your goodness, for sending your Son, that we belong to him forever. Thank you, Lord God, for reminding us that we need to pause and remember how good we have it, that our hope is anchored in him forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you can hear it already happening. Drop these in the orange buckets. And the ushers are going to come forward. Will you please come to receive the offering?
Well, good morning, Trinity Church. Welcome. You know, it's good to be here this morning. We are part in this part of this after this life uh, sermon series where we're looking at uh, what happens next and how that should affect uh, how we're living now. And so we're looking for motivations for life now in light of eternity. And I'm privileged to speak on this. Right, Our lead pastor, Todd Arnett, and his family are up celebrating his son Jackson's college graduation. And uh, so that's a great uh, uh, moment for them of celebration. And he's asked me to fill in this week, and he gave me this assignment. This is the question we're going to look at. Who goes where based on what? So um, at first I was intimidated because I'm not an expert on heaven and hell. And I stand before you. There are a lot of questions, but I believe that the scriptures are the truth and they provide us with answers. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who is with us today to guide us into truth together. And so I'm excited to look at this question together and uh, just receive from the Lord. So before we do that, here's our now what. We are going to um, be certain that you will receive the inheritance of heaven. So before we go there, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible privilege to gather in your name to sing your praises. Father, thank you that you are worthy of all praise and that you've given us your word so that we might know you and we might know how to live to glorify you. Father, thank you for the people that facilitate this gathering and served in so many ways already this morning. Thank you for our 135 of our church family who help uh, teach our kids. God, we are so blessed. And so we thank you for these people. And we thank you most of all for your presence with us today. Guide our thoughts, help us to understand and receive what you have to say, and then go out and live on the basis of that. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So we began this series on Easter Sunday, and Todd um, taught us that the resurrection of Jesus is the basis of our hope of heaven. Because Christ was raised, those who put their faith in Christ will also be raised. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. But we have a faith that is sure, and that's because of Christ's resurrection. And then last week, Eric Tonis, guest teacher, taught us that heaven and hell exist on the basis of God's perfect character. Because God is both a just God who will not tolerate evil. He will judge evil. But he is also a loving and merciful and gracious God who provides a pardon so that we do not have to take that judgment. That is awesome. That's who our God is. And so we've looked at those two things. This week, we're looking at who goes where based on what. And there are going to be um, more weeks where we can dive into this topic together. If it, you're like me, as the more you think about it, you're, you're learning and understanding, but it, it um, unearths more questions. And this is a book last week Eric Tonis recommended by one of his colleagues. I'm about halfway through it. 40 questions about heaven and hell with, with answers from God's word 
Uh, it's a great book, and I encourage you um, to get it and read it. So Jesus is the authority on heaven and hell. He is the resurrected Lord, which gives him the authority that he is who he said he was, is, that he did what he said he would do. And if Jesus is your Lord, it's especially important that you listen to what he has to say about heaven and hell, and that you understand it and allow it to not only inform you, but to motivate you for living. And that's what we're looking at. And if you are here today and you're not convinced, but you're curious, you're seeking answers, I'm so glad that you're here. I really believe that what we're looking at today is going to move your heart closer to putting your faith in Jesus. And that's what I've been praying for. And so as we look at this together, I'm going to take you back to a story that takes place just three days before Jesus would be crucified on the cross. So this is the Passion Week. If you remember, Jesus has just come in on Palm Sunday. Everybody's saying, here's the Messiah, and they're exalting him as, as Lord. Here's the ruler who's going to take and lead us. And um, that just happened. The Pharisees and the scribes, these leaders of the, the religious people of the time, they are petrified of Jesus' power, that the people are going after him. They've already determined we've got to put this guy to death. And they're trying in this moment, Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching his disciples. And there's lots of people gathered. The scribes and Pharisees are there. And they're like, if we can just get him to mess up, then we can trick him. And so they're trying to do that. Jesus answers every question and blows their minds, right? And in the process of doing that, it, Jesus is angry at their self-righteousness and their pride. And so he starts to point out some of the things that are wrong with them to his disciples. And then he turns to them directly and he lets them have it. This is Jesus saying, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You did neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And so Jesus is angry that, that those people are keeping people from the kingdom of heaven. He's thinking in light of eternity already. And he goes on and he, he just, at one thing after another, he just starts to point out that every religious thing that they're doing is corrupted because of their evil and wicked hearts. But Jesus is wanting them to be saved. Because listen what he says later on. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Oh, he says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify and some who you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So Jesus is thinking about heaven and hell. And so he leaves that setting. He goes with his disciples up to the Mount of Olives. And after thinking about all these things, his disciples turn to him and they ask this question, which brings us to our teaching today. 
Here's the question they ask him. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so Jesus tells them, he answers their question first and he says, these are the things that are gonna happen among them. You are gonna be persecuted for my name. You're gonna suffer and some of you are gonna be killed. And so this suffering is part of what's, he's been talking to the disciples about. And then he talks and he gives them four parables, basically saying, don't miss it, my coming. Be ready. Be prepared for my coming. Invest what I've given you for my coming and be ready. And then he comes to our passage today and he changes from a parable to teaching, this is what's going to happen. And you need to make sure that you're invited into the kingdom of heaven. And that's where we are. So take a look in, in your Bibles. If you brought a Bible, we're in Matthew uh, chapter 25. We're going to have the scripture on the screens so you can follow along. And then you can also take notes in your Trinity this week. There's a little page where you can follow along with the message today. So looking at the scriptures, this is what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in, and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do to, for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So this is the passage Jesus' teaching on heaven and hell that we're going to take a look at today. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to take this question, who goes where, 
based on what? And we're just going to look at those three things. So we're going to start with who. And as you look at the first verse, we see that Jesus is the judge. And this Jesus came as a humble baby. He came, he said, as a servant, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He's, John says, here's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. But when Jesus comes again, he comes as a glorious king and he comes as the, as the judge. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So this is the king of the heavenly kingdom. He has the right to be the judge because it's his kingdom. And it says that he, he refers to himself as the son of man. That is the way the Old Testament prophesied the Messiah who would be the king who reigned over all kingdoms. That's who Jesus is and that's how he's going to return. He is the judge. And when I say the word judge or judgment, there's probably something in you that cringes a little bit because we don't like to be judged by anyone. Our society has kind of made it our right to not be judged. In, in our, in our um, postmodern relativistic thinking that's kind of sweeping over our nation, we've kind of established that, that solid statements and boundaries of right and wrong are to be done away with so that whatever I believe is the right thing for me, I can believe, and whatever is the right thing for you, you can believe, but don't tell me what's right or wrong. Don't judge me. You've probably heard those words. But in thinking with a friend this week, how has that gotten our society? Is there less judgment or more judgment? Right? It's terrible. We're a mess because the standards are, for judging are unknown, and so it becomes what's the most popular thinking out there, and you're judged on the basis of that thinking. Or who's got the most powerful influence, and, and you're judged on the basis of that. So our society is, is very confused when it comes to judgment, and it's very judgmental, even though it's trying not to be. But here's the good news, is that Jesus is not only a good and fair judge, he is a gracious judge. Eric Tonis taught this last week, that he is perfect in his character as a just person who will judge and punish evil, but he is also loving and merciful so that he prepared beforehand a way for your, you to be pardoned from his judgment. That's our God. He is a perfect judge, and um, we can worship him in, in that light as, as righteous and holy. So the second, so there's who is the judge, now who will be judged? And it's very clear from our passage that all people will be judged. Jesus is the judge of all people. And um, if you look, uh, all the nations are going to be gathered before him. In verse 32, it says, he will separate the people one from another. The sheep, like a shepherd, separates sheep from the goats. He's going to put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. So he's giving us this picture of what's going to happen 
but all peoples will be judged and each person individually will be judged. And so the question is, what in the world is Jesus judging people based on, right? And that's where we're going in the message, based on what? But what I want you to notice here is that the choice is obvious to him. Just like a shepherd who would, would tend to sheep and goats to make sure he, his, that the shepherd was making sure they were cared for and they were nourished and they were protected, the, ship, the shepherd could tell the difference, though, between the sheep and the goats. And, and Jesus, our judge, knows who the people are who are the sheep and who are the goats. And so if we look at, well, what is their identity? We don't find out until about halfway through the passage. Well, early on, he calls the people on his right blessed by the Father. He, he calls the people on his left cursed. Right? He calls the people on his right the righteous. And so by default, the people on his left would be the unrighteous. And so the weight of our, of the, really, of the teaching today is what makes a person righteous before God? That's our question. If you think about that word, what makes me righteous before God, it's kind of a religious word, but it, it has the word right in it, and it simply means you're, you're right. <laughs> you are right before God. We're going to look at a little bit deeper in, in the rest of the passage, but here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about mankind. He says, none are righteous, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We could substitute the word heaven for the phrase glory of God, right? None are righteous, for all have sinned and fall short of heaven. All right, so those, those are the who. Jesus is the judge. The righteous are on his right in the place of honor, and the unrighteous are on his left. He's, he knows. He knows it's obvious to him. And I think that speaks a little bit into our culture that tends to just make up this idea that people who go to heaven, their good outweighs the bad. There's a little evil in all of us. None is righteous. People would probably buy into that. You and I probably, you look at your own life, I don't think anybody out here would say, yeah, no, there's, I'm perfect. But this notion in our culture is that the, the, if the good in my life outweighs the bad, then I'm kind of in. And it's not taught anywhere in the scriptures and, and Jesus in this picture isn't measuring or weighing those things. He just simply knows the sheep from the goats. So there's something else that identifies that, and we're going to move into that next. Let's look at the where. Okay, who goes where? And this is wonderful, and it's also not so wonderful because there are two places the first place we're, we're given, the sheep are on the right, and here's what, what he says. Well, before we look at it, I just want, I would, I'm just going to say what it is. Heaven is the inheritance. It's an inheritance, and therefore it's not earned. Jesus is going to call it an inheritance. I want you to think about those, the, that word, inheritance. Many of you out here have probably received an inheritance, Right? I'm going to ask a question. How hard did you work to earn that inheritance? 
How, do, how did that inheritance come to you? Did somebody else work and earn that? It was a gift, wasn't it? And if you think about it, inheritance is a gift. How many of you, if you received an inheritance, was that gift through family? An inheritance is a family term, isn't it? Now, somebody could be given an inheritance that isn't in your family, but the main concept and activity of inheritance is passed down from a family member. And that's what we're going to see here. So take a look at Matthew 25, verse 34, and listen to the language that Jesus uses talking about heaven. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, which was prepared, the kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world. Isn't that beautiful language? You are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. It's been created for you before the foundation of the world. I want to take you to just a beautiful passage that uses the same language. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to Christians who are in the city of Ephesus. So this is in the book of Ephesians, and this is the beginning of his letter. And he's explaining to the Ephesians, this is who you are. I want you to listen for the language that we've just heard Jesus use, that Paul uses. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be, he predestined us in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That is what the blessing is that we've received in Christ. Notice this is family language. What have we been blessed in? We've been blessed by our Father, right? We've been called, we've been blessed to be adopted as in, invited into sonship. It's family language, and it's very, very important to see what the Bible collectively teaches about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is speaking, and in, in, he starts by saying, this is an inheritance, you're blessed by my Father. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the crazy thing, right in the middle of that passage is how we're made right with God, right? We talked about that, how are we made righteous? Because that's the people on the right. And it says this, that it's through Christ, he made us holy and blameless in his sight. That's what it means to be righteous, to be holy and blameless in the sight of God. And that's what God does. And I think that's why Paul uses this language. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so in this passage, I want you to see those of you who are in Christ, you are holy and blameless. He made you holy and blameless. He also 
brought you into his family and he gave you a family relationship. And that's why you have an inheritance. So this double blessing of being right with God so that you can receive the inheritance. So that's um, just a beautiful picture of what Jesus is referring to. There are two other things I just want to note quickly about heaven in this passage. The first is that heaven is a real place to which we're invited, right? His, it's a kingdom. It's a place that's been prepared for you before the creation of the world. And the invitation is come, right? He says, come, take your inheritance. You, we're going to spend time, in fact, next week, we're going to be talking about what, what are we going to do in heaven, and we're going to get to think about this, what is heaven, and what's it going to be like, but, and we're not going to talk about that in detail today, but I'm going to tell you, it's what we were created for before the foundation of the world, and that's a beautiful thing. It's more glorious than we could ever imagine. It's the presence of God. It's being in the presence of Jesus, and so we're going to spend some time um, next week and in the following weeks thinking more about it, but notice that it's a place you're invited to and it's real. And then the second thing is it's eternal life. In the, um, Jesus used those words at the very end. He said the, the people on his left are going to go into eternal judgment and the people on his right are going to go into eternal life. And if you um, spend some time thinking about eternal life, there's probably a verse that comes to mind, and it's, it's what summarizes the gospel. And what happened is Jesus was teaching, and one of the Pharisees and scribes, the same people Jesus in our passage had been, you know, saying, you guys are missing it. One of them named Nicodemus early on in Jesus' ministry recognized that, that maybe they were missing it. And so Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and, and he's kind of questioning, you know, your teaching's really good, and I'm kind of wondering, are you the guy? And then Jesus just turns the conversation around and says, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Whoa, that's taking the, the conversation a different direction. Nicodemus is kind of scratching his head. What does that mean? Jesus teaches him that you must be born of the Spirit. And, and he says again, if, if anyone wishes to enter the kingdom of heaven, he must be born again. And so John tries to summarize this and says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came so that the world might be saved through him. This is why God sent his son Jesus into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. And in this conversation of being born again, um, a friend here, Scott Blakey, has this saying that I heard of, and I asked him about it. And he, he basically says this, what gets you into heaven is your birth certificate not your resume. Isn't that beautiful? It's your birth certificate, not your resume. Do you know that 
when you're adopted, that they give you a new birth certificate. If you adopt a kid, they erase all the memory and they put your name as dad and they put the mother's name as the mom. And that child receives a new birth certificate that carries them throughout all of life. And when you adopt someone in the court of law, in those proceedings that make it final, the judge says to you, you realize that you must give them an inheritance. They qualify now for an inheritance. That's what God has done for us. He adopts us into his family. We become his son or daughter. He gives us an inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus saves us from condemnation. He says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came that the world would be saved through him. Look at the very... Um, the, I want to just say this before we look at the next verse, is that hell is a place of eternal punishment for the evil to which the unrighteous are sent. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save all people from the condemnation and judgment of hell. But the reality is, is that if people don't receive that, that they will be judged on the basis of their evil, no matter how much or how little it is. It's a place of eternal punishment. That's the last verse that says that's where they'll be told to depart to. But I have good news to share with you. If you look in the middle of the passage, and I forgot to put the verse on the screens, Verse 41 says, he's going to say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, you're still under that curse of sin, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So if you're on the right, heaven was prepared for you before the creation of the world. If you're on the left, you're going to a place that was not prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Isn't that interesting? That God's intention was to judge evil, and evil entered the world through Satan. But his intention is not to judge people. He wants people to be saved. That's his intention. That was Jesus' life. So if you look at John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one only Son. So those who don't believe in him remain under the curse of sin. And so the King Jesus, the perfect judge, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But it's not the heart of God to send anyone there. He loved the world so much he sent his son Jesus to give everyone the opportunity to have eternal life. So we've looked at the who, it's the judge Jesus, and it's the righteous and the unrighteous who are judged. We've looked at where the righteous are invited to inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. The unrighteous 
are told to depart to the kingdom that was to the place prepared for the devil and his angels for judgment. And now we get to look at based on what. And it's, it would be good for us to rephrase that question, how does one get to go to heaven? And I think it's been pretty clear just from what the scriptures teach and the, and the way Jesus talked about heaven that it's not something you earn. It's something that is gift given to you and that it's a gift offered to every person. Let's uh, look at our passage because Jesus spends a lot of time on what could be confusing talking about the way that you love the least of these. And I want to bring some understanding to that as we look at how does that play into eternity. In verse 34, I'm going to read it. It's kind of wordy, but I want you to hear it again. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he says the opposite to those who are on his left. You didn't do that for me. You didn't do that for those people. I want to make it clear, just based on what Jesus teaches, on based on what the, the whole Bible teaches, and the language of this, that heaven is not earned, but there's something important here that we don't want to miss, right? In the way, in our works, in what we're doing, Jesus is saying there's something important. I want to go after that, but Here's what I think it is. In verse um, 35 to 37, caring for the least of these is evidence that I have a relationship with Christ. It's not the means for entrance into heaven. He's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, here's the evidence that you're one of mine. You're going to care. You're going to care for and love the least of these. So I want to kind of follow this with you a little bit. Remember, this is just a few days before Jesus goes to death, goes to the cross and dies. Two days after this moment, they're in the upper room, right? We celebrated communion. It's where Jesus said, remember me, and he, and he went through that for the first time with his disciples. In that moment where Jesus is gathering them together, he says no less than four times, four separate different times, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Four different times he comes back and just reminds them, this is the new commandment I give you, love one another. And if you think about it, do you remember what's going to happen? They're all going to deny or run away or betray Jesus. 
Then Jesus is going to rise from the dead. The church is going to be birthed. The church is going to spread. But remember the prophecy to the teachers of the law, the religious people are going to say, we got to cut this off. So brothers and sisters are going to be killed. They're going to be put in prison. They're going to lose their jobs. They're not going to be able to sustain their families. And so all these things are going to happen to this early church. And so Jesus says, this is how, this is the most important thing that a disciple does. They love one another. Listen to John. This is the, this, John is the disciple that recorded Jesus' teaching in the upper room. And this is how John kind of fleshes it out. And I want you to hear this in light of Jesus' teaching about loving one another, the least of these, prison, all that kind of stuff. 1 John 3, 16 to 18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so what Jesus is getting to is, if you're a follower of mine, you're going to love each other. You're going to love other followers. And, and I believe in this, in this passage, Jesus uses the word, the same word, my brothers and sisters, that he's referring to uniquely how we love one another within the body of Christ. And so that's an important evidence that we belong to Jesus and that we're part of the family. It's, it's brothers and sisters getting along, isn't it? It's caring for each other in the family. And that's what Jesus is teaching. So um, it's hard to imagine that as Christians in America because we're not under this intense persecution where, where people are being killed and put in prison. But could you imagine being in the church in North Korea? They have to deal with that. And there are other places around the world where believers are in that kind of suffering. But even in our midst, we still go through suffering. We still have needs. And I believe that this is just... Jesus saying, care for one another. It's your greatest witness to the world that you're my disciples. The Apostle Paul, when writing to the Galatians, said, hey, therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those belong, who belong to the family of believers. So we're obligated to care for one another, but we should care for everyone, Okay. And I believe that, that our love for one another and our love for the world is the greatest testimony and that will draw people to the truth of Jesus. And so it must be important to us too. In closing, I want to be clear though. I want to be clear and just restate. This is how we know that we have the inheritance of heaven. Hearing and then believing the message of truth, the gospel, is the mean for entrance into heaven. If you're his adopted child, then God is your father and the inheritance of heaven is yours. I want to end going back to where we left off on 
on Paul's letter to the Ephesians because he tells this is how it happens. And I want you to know this is how you become a child of God and you become righteous and holy in his sight. In Ephesians 1, verse 7, he says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. And then he says a little bit later, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we're either included or excluded from eternity in heaven based on whether we've heard the message and believed or not believed. The choice is ours. God has chosen. We have to choose him. And if you're here today and you have chosen Jesus, I want you to hear what Jesus says to his sheep because that's what you are. You're one of his. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So for those of you who've put your hope in Christ, the moment you were believed, you were included in the family of God. You are God's possession. He will never disown you. He will never disinherit you. You belong to him and you need to have that confidence and that joy that you belong to him forever. He has lavished his love on you and we need to rejoice in that hope. Perhaps your life and my life should better reflect God's love through the way we love one another. Let's ask God to do that. Let's ask God to increase our love for one another and, and our courageous and sacrificial and risky giving of our love for one another. Let's let that spread not only in Trinity Church, but to our community around the world. Let's make sure we're loving our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith in countries where, where they're not legally able to worship God. For those of you who maybe you came this morning, you're not convinced, or maybe it's just never been clear for you before, and you would say, I'm under condemnation right now. I haven't believed. I just want to offer you the opportunity this morning to place your trust in Jesus. If you're wanting to believe, it's very simple to tell Jesus that you do believe and to begin your life as that adopted child of God who's right before God. And this is how you would do it. I encourage you just to bow your heads and pray silently where you're seated and just ask God and just say to God, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I am, I have evil in my heart. I've sinned, I fall short of heaven. And then I encourage you to tell God that you've heard the message this morning 
that you are saved through Jesus Christ, for, through his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Accept that and tell Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Savior, my Savior. And then commit your life to following him. we sing this closing song, let's rejoice that the Father invites us to come so that one day when we stand before him as a judge, there's no fear because he'll recognize us as one of his. And let's rejoice that those who come now will one day hear come. Those blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. It was kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world.
together. Father, thank you that we can call you that. Thank you that you are a wonderful Savior. Father, that you so loved the world, you sent Jesus so that none would perish, but all would have eternal life, all who believe in him. And Father, thank you for this hope that is ours, this inheritance Thank you for this gift of heaven. Lord, help us.
to not only be secure in that, but to share that good news with the world. Thank you that you are with us and we go in that confidence and in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Come back next week as we get to unpack what are we going to be doing in heaven. And uh, if, if you've made a significant decision today or you need prayer for anything, please come forward right now. Let our prayer team meet with you and pray with you. God bless.
You have spun me back with the riches of your emotions. 